Well, good morning, everyone. To those of you who are watching in our video service, good morning. If you're watching online, good morning. You know, we said last week, and I'm going to say this for the next few weeks, video teaching right now, for those of you who are in our video teaching service, uh, is more of a reality for us than a strategy. And here's what I mean by that. We are not at this point in our church's history trying to have lots of churches all over Lee Summit, one where we have a live teacher and then a bunch of others that are just video every week. That's not our strategy at this time. Maybe in the future, we'll try to plant some churches all over the city that do that. But right now, our reality is we have more people then we have seats. Last week, if you would have put our 9 a.m. crowd that meets at Summit Lakes Middle School into our 9.30 service, we would have had to tell 50 people, we don't have a seat for you. Try to come back at 11. We would have had to turn them and their children away. If we would have put our 10.30 crowd at Summit Lakes into our 11 a.m. service, we would have had to turn more than 120 people away. So last week, more than 200 adults and children would not have been able to worship with us if we did not use video teaching from time to time. So every Sunday, our 8 a.m. is going to be live. Our other services will be a mixture of video and live, but we hope that's just a small season in our church. We pray that a building is coming on Sunday, November 10th. We'll begin to introduce to our entire congregation a series that we're calling Difference Maker. We have been for a year working with architects, uh, a master site plan team, builders in our church. We've been working with the city of Lee Summit, and we believe we have designed and are ready to build the building that will help us accomplish our 25-year vision. Volunteers, this Thursday night, you'll get a sneak peek at what this building looks like up close, personal with the roof taken off so you can see what's going on inside. And literally, we are now going at the pace of our church. When our church decides, hey, it's time for us to have that building, we will have that building. Until then, we will figure out whatever we can do to not turn people away. Some of that is utilizing video teaching. So if you're in our video teaching service today, good morning. Look forward to seeing you next week. For those of you who are here, First Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we're going to hang out in our Bible study time today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, take your Bible study resources out of your bulletin or fire up your Journey Church International app so that you can follow along online. You'll want to keep these notes because we all are going to undergo seasons in our life that are filled with suffering, that are filled with grief. And we have to know what the Bible says when we walk through those seasons. We're in week three of a series called Grim Reaper. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to learn how to think about God when we go through suffering, when we go through death. The series title is A Christian Theology of Suffering and Death. But what that means is this. What do Christians know to be true about God even when they suffer? What do Christians know to be true about God even when they walk through grief? How do we make it through death and suffering? If you're here today and you're not a Christian or watching online and you're not a Christian, one, thanks for being with us. You're always welcome to be a part of our church. But perhaps one of the things that's drawn you to Christianity is you saw a Christian in your life walk through suffering and they made it through with a glow on their face. You, you watched a Christian lose someone close to them and their life didn't fall apart. And you're thinking, how did they get through that? Because one day when I go through what they're going through, I want to make it the same way. If you're here, I hope you can understand a little bit what Christians believe and how we make it through the most difficult times in life. The first two weeks of the series, we learned some things like this. First, we learned from Jesus, and he was very honest about it. Being a Christian does not mean things are all good all of the time. In John 16, he said, if you follow me, you're going to have trouble. I do not promise a life free of trouble. I just promise you a life where I will always be with you and I will always help you. So Christians, the, the life of a Christian is not a life that is all good all of the time just because you have Jesus in your life, but he promises he'll be with you even in the midst of the fires. We learn because of that 
that some of the worst times in our life can lead to some of the strongest spiritual growth in our life. God actually leverages suffering. We learned last week that suffering can always have a purpose. It won't always, unless you're open to it, but if you're open to it, suffering can always serve a purpose because suffering produces things in you that you cannot get except any other way but suffering. Things like character, things like perseverance, things like hope. So we learn that suffering can always serve a purpose. Suffering makes us more like Jesus. Suffering teaches us things about God, how he's gentle when we make mistakes that cause us to suffer, but it's our fault. He's gentle by stepping in and saying, I'm going to help you with that, even though you messed up. He's good in stepping into our suffering that others have caused because he sees the brokenness of the world leading to brokenness in our life and his goodness causes him to step in and say, I'm not going to let you be alone at this time in your life. And then he's great because he takes all the suffering of our life, the one we bring on ourselves and the things we don't bring on ourselves. And he says, I'm going to use all of it to make you more like Jesus. But here is one of the reasons, according to scripture, God leverages suffering in our life. One of the primary reasons that God comforts us in our suffering is so that we can comfort others. One of the primary reasons that God comforts us when we suffer is so that we can comfort others. Everyone today is in one of two boats today. You need comfort in your suffering. Or you have had comfort in your suffering and you need to comfort someone else. Everyone is in one of two places today. You need some comfort for some suffering you're going through, or you have received some comfort from some suffering you went through, and now you need to comfort someone else. Those are the things we're going to try to focus on today. Let's pray and ask that God will show our hearts how to do that well. Would you bow your heads with me here and in our video teaching service? Man, would you take a deep breath this morning and just kind of let your spirit settle into this moment? Forget the problems of last week. You can't change them. They're gone. Don't worry about the to-do list of next week. Trust me, it'll be there when church is over. In this moment, just settle in. Let your spirit settle in to this moment. And just ask God to speak to your heart today. Just pray a little prayer from your heart to heaven. If you're suffering, ask God to comfort you today. God, it's been a hard week. I need your comfort. If you know someone who's suffering, ask God to show you something that might help you comfort them this week. God, use today's message to comfort us in our suffering and to teach us how to be comforters in the lives of friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors who might be suffering. Help us with these, Lord. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to go through verses 3 through 7. Watch how God uses suffering not only to help us, but to use our comfort to help others. Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, It is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you will also share in our comfort. One of the primary reasons, the Apostle Paul says, one of the primary reasons that God comes down and he comforts us, walks with us, one of the primary reasons God steps into our fire so that we're not alone is so that we will do the same thing for other people 
we watch going through the difficulties we have walked through. I've got two goals for today's message, week three of this Grim Reaper series. Number one, I want to try to show you four powerful ways that God can leverage our suffering for good. But once again, just like it was last week, the key word here is can. The key word is can. You have to let suffering produce. Are you going to let suffering produce something or paralyze something? I want to show you four powerful ways that God can use suffering to make your life deeper, better, richer, more impactful. Suffering can always serve a purpose if we let it. Suffering can always produce strength and growth and impact if we will let it. And then number two, we're going to try to choose a mindset of ministry over misery as you suffer. That's one of my goals for you, that you will, as you leave today, that you will choose, but you'll have to choose, to have a mindset of ministry over misery as you suffer. Now, this is going to be really difficult for some of you. I've said in every week of this series, there really are two crowds that are listening to this message here in our video teaching service. For those of you watching online, there are those who have suffered in your past. And what you're going to learn today is going to help you leverage what you went through in your past to help somebody this week at work. There are people in here who are going to suffer in your future. And what you're going to learn through this series is going to totally change the way you see your suffering in the future. But there's a very small percentage of you, probably less than 10% who are suffering right now. Your suffering is not past tense. Your suffering is not future tense. Your suffering is real time. You are in the year of suffering. You are in your month of suffering. Some of you are in your week of suffering. The diagnosis is not 30 days old yet. The the funeral just happened a few weeks ago. Um, The loved one that you lost, this will be the first Thanksgiving in about four or five weeks that they aren't at. Your suffering is real time. And for you, your wounds are fresh. Your bruise is very, very sensitive. And for you to hear me say, Christian, who who are you to tell me to to use my suffering for ministry instead of misery? I know you might still be living in your season of misery, but here's my hope. If you will take and learn what we're teaching today and put it away until your heart begins to heal a little bit, until you get away from your grief, until you get away from your suffering a little bit, and then you pull it back out, you're going to realize that what you went through, God can leverage to make you stronger. And what you went through, God wants to use to help somebody else who's now going through the exact same thing that you're walking through today. But we're aware that you're here. We want to be humble and sensitive. We don't want to say, get over your misery. That's not our heartbeat in this series. But we want to say, once you get through it, God can use it for ministry. You say, what does that look like? Here's what we've been learning. Watch this about suffering. We've been leaning heavily into the teachings of Pastor Tim Keller on this subject, a lot of his writings on this. And he says this, suffering is an important way to grow. And that's a really important line. Suffering is an important way to grow. People who have not suffered much are often shallow, unacquainted with both their weaknesses and their strengths, naive about human nature and life, and almost always fragile and unresilient. But we know that suffering does not deepen and enrich us automatically. Watch this. The same traumatic experience can ruin one person and make another person stronger and even happier. Suffering will either leave you a much better person or a much worse one than you were before. The stakes are high. The stakes are high when it comes to suffering. You say, why are we doing this series? It's kind of dark, grim reaper, suffering death. Why are we doing this series? Because the stakes are high. And because you are going to walk through a season of suffering, we all are going to walk through a season of death, and the stakes 
are high. We're doing this series because as a church, we've watched people who have a vibrant faith walk when they go through suffering and death walk away from God instead of towards God. And we said, we've got to teach our people how to kind of recalibrate their brain when it comes to suffering and grief because suffering and grief can make you a better person, can make you a deeper person, but only if you keep walking in the right direction. How does God use suffering? Will I become... Someone who uses suffering for ministry or will I live in misery? How does God use suffering? Let's look at four key areas this morning. Number one, how does God use suffering? Area number one, suffering transforms our perceptions about ourselves. How does God use suffering? Suffering transforms our perceptions about ourselves. Psalm 119.71 is a really interesting verse. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to kind of paraphrase it for you. Psalm 119 says this, It was good for me to be afflicted. So that I might learn your decrees. Let me paraphrase it for you. It was good for me to suffer because it taught me about God. It was good for me to suffer because it taught me some things about God and it taught me some things about me. It was good for me to suffer because I learned some things about how the world works that I would have never known without suffering. Watch what we learn about in our suffering. Take this next note. It's a really critical piece of this series. Go ahead and put it up, guys. Suffering does not make us lose control as much as it helps us to admit we have no control, right? I mean, suffering feels like losing control, but if we step back from it for just a second, our perceptions of ourselves begin to change and we think, you know what? I had no control of this in the first place. It's a really interesting thought. This is actually a transformational thought for our lives to admit, God, we don't have control for our kids to admit ultimately, God, We don't have control for our jobs and our careers, for our health to admit ultimately, God, I don't have control. As a matter of fact, the only car you'll have control of on the way home today will be yours if you're paying attention and staying off your phone. Every other car that you're going to pass coming and going, you don't have, we we have very, very little control of anything. Dr. James Davies wrote a book on the importance of suffering He made an interesting thought about how suffering kind of changes the way we think. He said, average people in Western society have extremely unrealistic ideas of how much control they have over how their lives go. Suffering removes the blinders. It doesn't so much make us helpless and out of control as it shows us we've always been vulnerable and dependent on God. Suffering merely helps us wake up to that fact and live in accordance with it. Say, wake up. Say it one more time. Wake up. In our video teaching service, say wake up. Wake up. Suffering helps us wake up and think, you know what? I'm not in control of this life. I'm not in control of the next breath. I'm not in control of next week. And it makes you ask this question, who am I going to give control of? Hey, let me ask you this question. It's a good question. Does feeling like life is out of control, does that make you feel closer to God or further away from him? It's a good question. When, when life begins to feel out of control, is that when you lean into God because he's safe or is that when you lean, into, lean away from God because you're angry? When life feels out of control, closer to God or further from God? Because there's this really interesting verse, one of my favorite verses in Psalm 22. We often re- repeat it in worship and out of the King James Version. 
A lot of times you might hear a worship leader say, God inhabits the praises of his people. That's Psalm 22.3. A lot of times when we invite people to sing, we say that. Say, let's worship together because God inhabits the praises of his people. The thought is when people begin to worship, that God's spirit settles into them. I've heard this said in the last 20 years of ministry. Hey, if, if we will begin to worship, God's spirit will settle into us because God inhabits the praises of his people. Where people praise, God comes down and his presence is right there with him. But have you ever learned the context of Psalm 22? Because a lot of you have heard that verse. Maybe you've even quoted it. Some of our worship leaders have probably quoted it. But remember how Psalm 22 starts? Look at verses 1 and 2. It's not a psalm of praise. It starts this way. Maybe it's familiar to you from Jesus quoting it on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, but God, I don't find any rest. So the psalmist says this. So I'll worship? Question mark. God, I feel forsaken. God, I feel alone. God, I feel like you've left me. God, I feel in darkness, so I will worship? Why? Because when I worship, your presence settles into me. Even when I feel forsaken, even when I suffer, even when I feel alone, even when it's dark, I will worship because that allows you to inhabit the praises of your people. God, even when I feel suffering, I worship because worship takes what feels out of control and puts it under the control of a God who is in control. That's how we're supposed to view worshiping. That's how we're supposed to view suffering. When I suffer, I realize I don't have any control. So I worship the one who does, and I trust him. Listen, here's what you need to know, folks. At some point in your faith walk, trust has to become a choice rather than a feeling. At some point in your faith walk, trust has to become a choice rather than a feeling. And it's a choice based on the power of God rather than the power of yourself. Go ahead and throw that on the screen so they can write it down. At some point in your faith walk, trust has to become a choice. You choose it. Even when you feel forsaken, even when you feel alone, even when you're suffering, at some point in your faith walk, you choose trust. Because trust says, I am powerless. My perceptions have changed. And I am powerless, but God is all-powerful. So I'm going to put, him, put, th- put this in his hand, and I'm going to worship suffering. Forces growth by making ourselves smaller and our God bigger. Keller steps in and he says it this way. What an incredible quote. If we believe in God only when he's doing great things for us, we're not serving him, we're only using him. And a lot of us use God in the good times, but as soon as we feel, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We run the other way when the psalmist says, no, lean closer. When things feel out of control, lean closer. That's actually worship. When you choose to trust in the face of suffering, suffering transforms our perceptions about ourselves. Area number two, how does God use suffering? Suffering strengthens and it deepens relationships like nothing else can. How does God use suffering? God uses suffering to strengthen and deepen relationships like nothing else can. The Old Testament book of Ruth is really about her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi was forced from her home in Bethlehem because of a famine. She ended up in the land of Moab. Her husband there died. Her sons there both died. One of her daughters-in-law said, I didn't really sign up for this. I'm out. But she had another one named Ruth. And Ruth said, I see what you're going through, and I'm not going to leave you. I'm here. I'm with you. And in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where, I, where you go, I will go. 
Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And then she says what you often only hear at a wedding. Where you die, I will die and there I will be. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Till death do us part. I'm here. I'm here. I see what you're going through and I'm not going to abandon you. I am here. Those of you who have walked through suffering and death know this to be true. Friends who walk through it with you are friends for life. Friends who walk through death and suffering with you are friends for life. As a matter of fact, your definition and picture of friendship changes and you now have probably a more proper one. You say, Christian, I've got a friend who's suffering. I want to be a good friend. How can I help someone who's walking through a season of suffering right now? Let me give you three real practical tips. If you say, I want to be a friend like Ruth, what do I do? Number one, be there. Just be there. I have a friend who's suffering right now. How how can I help them? Number one, be there. The most powerful tool in friendship when someone is suffering is just the gift of your presence. Just be there. In Job chapter 2, the only thing Job's friends did right was show up. When they started talking, they got it wrong. But when they just showed up, it was great. One of my favorite verses in the book of Job, Pastor Mike spoke to our student ministry about two weeks ago. I don't know if you've ever read Job and realized this, but when his friends showed up, look what they did. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word because they saw how great his suffering was. They showed up. They just showed up and sat with him. This was the best thing they did. When they started opening their mouths, everything went, everything went downhill from there because they were all wrong in, in how they tried to help. But when they just, when they just went and sat and didn't say anything, those are probably seven really comforting days for Job. Just be there. You say, I have a friend who's suffering. What I, just be there. Just be there. And number two, don't try to fix everything. Just be there and don't try to fix everything. I talked this week on the Activate podcast about how I'm trying to learn how to do this because as a pastor, I feel like I'm supposed to have the answers and I feel like the answers are supposed to bring comfort and I feel like the answers should change the situation and it's hard for me because when I walk in a situation, I feel like I'm supposed to fix it. I feel like I'm a a spiritual doctor and I never want a physical doctor to just come be with me in the operating room. I want him to fix whatever is going on. Like... If they knocked me out for surgery and then I came to in the recovery room, the doctor said, I just want you to know I was with you the entire time. <laughs> like, I need you. Don't, don't just be with me. Fix what's wrong. I, I want to fix what's wrong. You know, sometimes you can't fix suffering. You can't bring back people who have lost those who are close to them. And sometimes when you show up and try to fix it, it actually makes it worse. Look at Proverbs twenty five twenty. It's a really interesting verse. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day Or like vinegar poured on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. One who steps in and has all the answers on your worst day. It's not really a pleasant thing. It's like somebody who's stealing something from you. It's like somebody who's making you feel vulnerable. So don't try to fix everything. Just be there. Don't try to have all the answers. Listen, sometimes the answers that you have are both true and not helpful at the exact same time. So like... Yeah, Casey gets it. She's laughing. She's like, yep, she could write a book on that. So just be there. Just be there. Don't try to fix everything. But number three, do this. Do what you see needs to be done without being asked. This actually came from one of our ministry team members just in the last two months who lost a family relative in a car accident. And when we sat down as a team and I said, man, what are you learning the most? He said, I'm learning how grateful I am for the people who just jumped into action. He said there were a lot of people who called and said, what do, you, what do you need? And the reality was we didn't know what we, we didn't even know what we needed. And then there were other people who just showed up and needed 
They, they did what needed to be done. They didn't even ask. They just, co- they just mowed the grass. They didn't even ask. They just brought some food. They didn't even ask. They just put the dog out. There, there was a group of people like, hey, what do you need? And the answer was, oh, we didn't know what we needed. We literally did not know which end was up one minute to the next. But people who saw what was needed and just did it, they didn't even check in. They just did it. He said, man, they blessed us so much. People, when they're hurting, need your action more than your answers. Amen? People, when they're hurting, they need your action more than your answers. Just dig in and do what you see needs to be done. If you do that, you will create a friendship for life because suffering, like no other time, strengthens and deepens relationships like nothing else can. How does God use suffering? Number three, area number three, suffering can change our priorities and our philosophies of life. How does God use suffering? How can God leverage suffering? Suffering can change our priorities and it can change our philosophies. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 10, the apostle Paul says, I enjoy suffering because really, it really makes me wise. It really makes me strong. He said, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, he says, something happens in me. When I experience moments of weakness, something happens in me. And that's when, that's when I'm really getting strong when I go through weaknesses. You know, often we make our best decisions. And the most difficult adjustments in our life during the hardest seasons of life. Dr. Robert Emmons has written a book on life goals pursued in the life of people who live in our culture and generation. And he said there are really four things that people in America are pursuing. He said most people get up every day and this would be at the top of their list of what's really, really important. Personal achievement and happiness, relationships and intimacy, religion and spirituality, generosity and legacy. So this is what the average person is thinking about every day as they get out of bed, these are the things that are really important to them. He said, however, number two, three, and four are never accomplished until people feel like number one is done and most people never feel like number one is done. They think, once I get here, I'm gonna pour all my time and energy into this. Some of you are actually thinking that right now. Once I retire, I'm gonna pour all my time and energy into this. Once I get that next promotion, I'm going to pour all my time and energy into this. Once my kids are kind of gone and off to college, I'm going to pour all my time into this. But the reality is you're so focused on this. You're focused on self, personal achievement and happiness. And when you have a level of that that's good enough for you, man, you're going to pour your life into others. He said most people in our culture, this is their list, but they only focus on number one until they experience trouble or hardship and they realize number two, three, and four are more important then number one, it's often suffering that resets our priorities. But here's what he says in his book. Nearly all suffering borrows freedom from, and comfort to build upon the most important things in life, God and family and friends and ministry. He said people realize they have to lose personal achievement. They have to lose personal happiness to make them realize that's not what life is all about so they can focus on the most important things in life. Again, Keller steps in and he says it this way, God uses troubles to show us where true joys can be found because we think joy is found in personal achievement and we think joy is found in happiness and we think when we have achieved personal happiness that we can then pour our lives into things that are most important and trouble says, you know what, don't wait Don't wait on number one to do two, three, and four because true happiness, true achievement, true legacy are actually found in God 
and family and friends and leaving some kind of legacy for other people. So what does suffering become for you and I? Suffering becomes a painful window that allows us to kind of gaze out upon the most important parts of life. It's like all of life is a mirror that just, that just looks like us. It's like every day we get up and look in a mirror and think, what do I need until we suffer? And then the mirror turns into a window. And when we suffer, we quit looking at ourselves, and all of a sudden we see the world through a different lens and we think, you know what? It's not just all about me and my personal achievement, my happiness. One, I have no control over that. So I don't want to live for that. I want to live for God. I want to live for others. I want to leave a legacy. I want to make a difference. Suffering can change our priorities and our philosophies of life. And then area number four, perhaps the most crucial for the communities that we live and serve and run in today, suffering is the prerequisite that allows us to be of use to those in our lives who are suffering. How does God use suffering? Suffering becomes the prerequisite that allows us to be of use to those in our lives who are suffering. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I don't know if you caught it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, but Paul said we actually have to suffer to help people who are suffering because the exact same comfort we had is what they need, but we can't give it until we get it, and we can't get it until we suffer. Look at what Paul says if we're distressed. If if I'm stressed, if I'm suffering... I'm learning God may be allowing that to happen to me for you. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. Paul said, our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, just as you're going through what I'm going through, So you're going to share in our comfort. You're going to make it just like I did. My hope is that I made it through and you're going to make it through. I can come to you in your suffering. I can comfort you because I have been comforted. You know what Paul's telling us is this. Shared suffering is a great source of hope. Shared suffering. When two people suffer the exact same type of thing, the one who's been comforted offers great hope to the one who hasn't yet. Shared suffering is a great source of hope. But listen, after, it's a great source of pain. Suffering is a great source of hope. After, it's a great source of pain and after you get through it. Danielle and I, in the very early years of our church, uh, took a kind of a ministry retreat weekend to a place in Knoxville, Tennessee, one of the most beautiful places we've ever been to called the White Stone Inn. It's a ministry retreat center in Knoxville that was built basically to house pastors who needed time to rest, who needed time to study, who needed time to get away. And it was run by a pastor whose heart was for ministry leaders because of a tragedy in his life. Years earlier, he had lost his oldest son in a tragic hunting accident. And what had happened is his son went out, his adult son went out to go hunting one day and he didn't come back. The next morning they looked for him, they couldn't find him. The second day they went out and they found him And what they believe had happened was this. He was up in his tree stand. They think he either fell asleep or he dropped his gun. And as his gun fell to the ground, according to the forensics report, where the gunpowder residue was and the angle of the shot and everything, as the gun fell down, he watched it fall. And when it hit the ground, it discharged. And literally, it shot him right through the forehead and it killed him. And for two days, he sat there dead in that tree stand. 
And they finally found him. Devastating to this dad, as you can imagine, who was a pastor in town. But he says, I walked through that tragedy. He said, I've realized it wasn't the death. It wasn't that my son that had died that really bothered me. The question I had to have answered by the medical examiner, by the coroner, by the cops, the question I had to have answered was, did he suffer? Was he out there for two days by himself suffering? Could he have made it if somebody would have gone to be with him? Did he, did he just die or did he suffer? Because I, I can be okay if he died, but the thought of him suffering, I just don't know if it, as a dad if I can take that. And the medical examiner said, no, he would, he would have been killed instantly. He didn't suffer at all. He said, in that instant, as I realized he didn't suffer, he said, two things happened to me. He said, one, I felt great relief that my son didn't suffer. He said, and then at the exact same time as only God can do, I saw a picture of Jesus on the cross. And I realized Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He suffered and he died. And he suffered and he died because his job wasn't just to help us one day when we died. His job was to help us when we suffered. So God had to let his son not just die on the cross, but suffer on the cross. Because he could see across all the generations, all the people at Journey Church International, all the people watching online, all the people in our video teaching service. And he could see every moment of their suffering. And he said, Jesus, sorry, you can't just die. You're going to have to suffer and die because you're not going to be able to help them in their suffering unless you suffer first. And he said, I realized I'd never been so thankful. I'd never even been really cognizant in my life of the fact that Jesus suffered until that moment. And then I felt such comfort in every moment of my life that I suffered because I know God let his son suffer so that I would not be alone when I did. Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He suffered and he died. Why? Because suffering is the prerequisite that's needed in our lives to help other people who are suffering. If you're here today, you're suffering. If you're in our video teaching service and you're suffering, if you're watching online and you're suffering, cling to Jesus. He's in the fire with you. Cling to Jesus. Let suffering make you more like him. You're going to make it if Jesus is in your life. If you're suffering today, cling to Jesus. You're going to make it. But if you made it, and when you make it, Go help somebody else. Because our world is filled with suffering people who are looking for hope. And Paul says the hope is on all the Christians who have gone through the exact same thing, who've been comforted in it. That's where the hope lies. We've changed the way we do our services a little bit in this series. We don't just kind of say a prayer, say amen, let everyone go to their cars. We try to let this truth sink in. Kind of let it plant itself in our soul. And then we do a little bit of worshiping. So I'm going to invite our band to the stage. Next week, we're going to begin to dig into two weeks on facing death and suffering. How do Christians face the death of a loved one and make it through? How do Christians face dying with hope? Those are going to be the next two weeks at our church. But this week, you need to remember this. God uses suffering and you can use your suffering to help others. Last week as we worship, we learned how to fight our battles. By believing that we are surrounded by God in the midst of our trouble and suffering, believing that those with us are more than those with him, this week we're going to close with a new song that we sang last week called Yes I Will. 
Because in this song, there's a truth that you and I are going to have to lean on. And here's that truth. We're going to have to count on one thing, even in suffering, God won't fail us now. We're going to have to learn to count on one thing in suffering. God won't fail us now. God is working things out and we can choose praise. We can choose worship. We can choose to bless his name. God inhabits the praises of his people, but the praises of his people are most important when they feel forsaken, when they feel dark, when they feel isolated, when they don't feel God worship. Because that's how you invite his presence into your situation. Let's ask that God will help us leverage our suffering in the ministry, in a community that I promise you is suffering. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for you. He suffered and he died. So you could suffer and live and bring life to other people. Would you bow your heads and pray with me here and in our video teaching service? Those of you online, in just a moment, our band is going to begin to worship as they worship. The first half of the song, I'm going to ask you to just stay in a posture of prayer. If you're suffering, I'm going to ask that you would help God to use your suffering to reshape your priorities. Ask God to use your suffering to deepen relationships. Ask God to use your suffering as a prerequisite so you might help someone else. If you know someone who's suffering, pray for them that God would be real to them. God, we thank you that you comfort us in our sufferings because you love us. You love us so much that you suffered on the cross so you might know exactly what we're going through. And God, you help us. You help us so that we might help others who need the comfort that you've given to us. God, use our suffering to teach us trust, to build lifelong relationships, to change our priorities, and to get us ready for ministry. God, we'll count on one thing if you'll help us that you're not going to fail us now. Even when we suffer, God, we'll choose to worship, we'll choose to praise, we'll choose to trust. So help us that we might help others. As our team begins to sing, just remain seated in a, in a moment of prayer. Our campus pastors will come and close out the service. Our worship leader will have you stand and worship halfway through the song. God, sometimes we feel forsaken. But we know you inhabit the praises of your people. So we pray and praise, even in our suffering now, in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. fails when I fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting the same God is never late is working all things out you're working all things out so yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes I will Bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. Oh, my Lord. Oh, yes, I will. I can 